Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews, if you can see. To Hebrews chapter 3. Throughout the Bible, God has placed warning signs telling us of the wrath of God that awaits us if we remain on a course of sin. And in many different settings, in many different ways, with many different words, God warns people. And we know from Scripture that God's purpose for us is not judgment. In fact, Matthew 25, 41 tells us that eternal fire was not created for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 33.11, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. When we come to the New Testament, we read in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so God warns us. And when we come to this passage, we find another place where God is warning people to turn to Jesus Christ before it's too late. Now before we get into the passage, let me give you just a little bit of background. The book of Hebrews is written to a community of Jewish people, most of whom have been saved through the preaching of the apostles. However, there are some in their midst who have come out of Judaism but have not come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they, they find themselves in limbo. They have heard the gospel. They understand the gospel. They have given intellectual assent to the gospel, but they have never committed themselves to Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, what the Spirit of God is doing for those people who are on the knife edge of decision is he, he is trying to give them a supernatural shove. Now, I believe there are people here this morning who need a shove. You have heard the gospel. You intellectually agree with the gospel. But you have never come all the way to commitment to Jesus Christ. You have never repented of your sins. You have never made Him your Savior and Lord. You have never come wholeheartedly to Him. Let me tell you something. And if you don't get anything else I say this morning, please get this. God does not think that you have done Him a favor just because you like His gospel. I have shared the gospel with people before and they've said to me, you know, I've never heard it explained that way before. That's really exciting. And then I said, would you like to commit your life to Christ? Well, no, I wouldn't. You see, God is not, does not think you've done Him a favor because you like His gospel. In fact, if you hear it and you know it and you intellectually say, I believe that's right, but you never commit your heart, you never commit your life, then the wrath that you face is far greater than the person who never heard the gospel. 
And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, we have a warning from God the Holy Spirit to you who have heard the gospel, who know the gospel, but because of your love of sin, or because of your fear of persecution, or because of your simple procrastination, you have never made a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ. I was talking with uh, Betsy Chisholm several months ago, and she gave me a great illustration. She said, you know, I've always been the kind of person who was the last one in the pool. She said, I would stand on the edge of the pool, and everybody was in the pool, and they were all yelling up to me saying, the water's great, come on in. But she said, I was always the kind of person who needed a shove. That's a great illustration, but it doesn't really match the significance of this issue. So let me put it another way. Let's assume you're in a hotel spending the night and a fire breaks out in the hotel and you come out to the fifth floor balcony and as you look down you realize that you don't have much time but the firefighters have a net down below and they're telling you to jump and you realize you have to decide quickly because the smoke and the flames are going to soon engulf you. And you decide that you're going to go back in and try to gather up your possessions and make your way down the stairs and you're consumed in the flames. Well, to put this passage in that context, the Spirit of God in verses 7 to 19 is crying at the top of his lungs, jump. Don't be concerned about your possessions. Don't try to find another way because there is no other way. You need to jump. You need to totally entrust your life to Jesus Christ. Now, in starting out this passage, the Spirit of God uses an illustration in verses 7 to 11. It's an illustration from the Old Testament, and interestingly, it's an illustration from the time of Moses. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that the theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ. This book tells us that Jesus Christ is superior to everyone and everything in the Old Testament. And last week we saw in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, that Jesus is superior to Moses. And so it's fitting now that he chooses this illustration from the life of Moses. And when they teach you how to preach, they tell you that you ought to start off with an illustration. In fact, they tell you that you have about 35 seconds to get people's attention, and if you don't get their attention in that first 35 seconds, then you've probably lost a large majority of your audience. Personally, I don't always start with an illustration because I believe that you are an exceptional group of people. And I really believe that you will listen to me regardless of whether I use an illustration or not. They also teach you to flatter your audience. <laughs> but here the Holy Spirit uses an illustration in verses 7 to 11. And then out of that illustration, he makes an application to those who need a supernatural shove. Or as I've laid it out in your bulletin, he gives the illustration, and then he follows that with the 
implication, the invitation, and the identification. First of all, we see the illustration in verses 7 to 11, and what I like about it is it's a biblical illustration, and that's the best kind. And his illustration is really a quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 to 11. And if you go back to Psalm 95, in the Septuagint, you will find that David wrote Psalm 95. If you have any question about that, it's confirmed later in Hebrews 4, 7 that David actually wrote Psalm 95. But if you'll notice verse 7, it says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice. David wrote the psalm, but here we're told that the Holy Spirit said it. And here's just one more verification that the Scripture is inspired by God. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1.21 that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Back in Hebrews 1.1, we're told God spoke by the prophets. And so David wrote the psalm, but the Holy Spirit is the author. And then I want you to notice also that it says the Holy Spirit says... That is present tense. The Holy Spirit says, He said it in David's day. He said it in the writer of Hebrews' day. And He is continuing to say it today. It is a present tense message. It is a message to us. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. To those who had come to the knife edge of decision. Those who understand the gospel can quote Bible verses, have all the intellectual knowledge, even have the intellectual assent of saying, I think that's true, but have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He is saying, do not harden your hearts. Don't let that hardness set in. If you hear God's voice today, don't harden your hearts. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, As when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. That's the illustration. Now, if you remember, Israel had been in bondage in Egypt. They were making bricks and they were building for Pharaoh. And then they saw God bring the plagues on the Egyptians. They saw the blood, the frogs, the insects, the darkness, the hail, the boils, the locusts, the death angel. They were delivered from Egypt. They came out to the Red Sea. They saw Moses lift his staff over the Red Sea and the waters divided and they walked through on dry land. Pharaoh came behind and said, that looks easy. And he followed them and he and his armies were drowned. Every morning in the wilderness, they woke up and had manna from heaven sent by God for them to eat. They had a pillar of cloud to follow by day. They had a pillar of fire to follow by night. And just shortly after the time they crossed the Red Sea in Exodus 17, the people were thirsty and they began to quarrel and complain and were ready to stone Moses. And they said in Exodus 17, 7, 
is the Lord among us? They had seen all the miracles and they were questioning whether God was there. They were testing the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that that is the character of unbelief. Unbelief never has enough proof. Do not harden your hearts the way they did. You see, you don't need more proof about whether God is real. You don't need more proof about whether Jesus is real. You need to come to the point in your life where you hate your sin enough to commit yourself to what you know is true. And then he continues quoting in verse 9, where their fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. You see, this didn't just happen once. For 40 years, they continued to test God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. And that's a reference to what happened in Exodus 17. They kept saying, we need more evidence. Now at Meribah or Massa, when they were thirsty and they cried out and complained, God blessed them by having Moses strike the rock and out of the rock came water to quench their thirst. And then shortly after that, they came to Sinai and there was lightning and thunder and a thick cloud and there was a smoke all over the mountain and the mountain began to quake and Moses went up the mountain to get the law and you remember what the people did? They made a golden calf and they said, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. They saw all of God's works and they hardened their hearts. And then they came to the promised land and God said, I want you to go in and take the land. And what did they do? They sent in spies. And the majority of the spies, 10 out of the 12, came back and said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants there and there are walled cities and in their sight we look like grasshoppers. You see, they saw God's works for 40 years and they didn't believe. They hardened their hearts. I have to wonder this morning, if there isn't somebody here who has seen God work for 40 years and you've never responded in faith to Him. I want to tell you today that the evidence is in. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Don't harden your heart today. And then verse 10 is a continuation of the quote from Psalm 95. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. I want you to know something. Sin and unbelief and hard-heartedness is not something that God is indifferent toward. God hates sin. It says I was angry with that generation. And then it says, they always go astray. Sin for them was a habitual thing. 
fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 24, when they came to the, the Jordan River and they were ready to cross over into the land after 40 years in the wilderness, Moses said this to the people, You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. And that's why I would say to you, this is not a passage talking about a backslidden Christian, as some people would say. This is a passage talking about those people who have come to the edge of decision to make a commitment to Jesus Christ and are choosing not to. And then verse 11 concludes the quote, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now that word rest is something we're going to look at more next week. But here, the word rest is a reference to the promised land. You know how many people who came out of Egypt went into the promised land? It was Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who came back and said, we can take the land. And it was all the children under 20 years of age. And so a whole generation wandered in the wilderness until they died. And that's the illustration. Israel had all the evidence. Israel saw all the miracles. Israel saw the hand of God, but they hardened their hearts. And we see the outcome. Which brings us to the implication in verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. After giving the illustration, here's the implication. Take care. Learn from the illustration. And notice he calls them brethren. Now, if you were here last week, you remember in verse 1, he calls them holy brethren. Here he doesn't call them holy brethren. And I think the reason is because he's talking to them here not as believers. He's talking to them the way this word is used throughout the book of Acts. This word brethren is used of Jewish people, Jewish kindred. Paul uses it that way in Romans 9.3. He says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You see, these Jews had come out of Judaism. They had come to the edge of faith in Christ, and they were now thinking of turning back. And he's saying to them, and he's saying to you, if you find yourself in that same circumstance, don't hear the gospel and come to the edge of faith and then fall away and then turn back and then depart with an evil, unbelieving heart. Now that's a telling phrase. An evil, unbelieving heart. You know what the greatest evil in the world is? You say, well, it's probably murder. Or maybe adultery. Or maybe it's homosexuality. No. The greatest evil in the world is unbelief. The greatest evil in the world is hearing the voice of God and hardening your heart. And I want you to notice that when you harden your heart and turn away, you are not departing from a pattern of religion. You are not 
departing from a code of ethics. You're not simply turning away from a form or a creed. When you reject Jesus Christ, you are walking away from the living God. Just like Israel, that's the implication. And then thirdly, we see the invitation in verses 13 to 15. Notice verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now here he's speaking to this community of mixed people, some believers, some unbelievers, but the emphasis here is to the believers, and he says, I want you to encourage one another. That word encourage is the Greek word parakaleo. It's often used in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. He's called the paraclete because he's the one who comes alongside us to give us help. And so he's saying to this community of people, many of whom and most of whom are professing believers, he's saying, for you who are true believers, I want you to come alongside the person beside you And I want you to say, especially to those ones who are on the edge of decision, I want you to come to Christ while it's still today. You see, the invitation is coming from from God, but it's also coming through us to those around us. You say, well, what's the urgency? Well, the urgency is captured in that phrase, the deceitfulness of sin. That word deceitful means tricky. Sin is tricky. Have you noticed that? When you hear the gospel, sin says, hey, walking away from God isn't that big a deal. When you hear the gospel, sin says the price tag is too high to become a Christian. When you hear the gospel, sin says to you, don't do that. You've got to do all those weird little funny things that Christians do. When you hear the gospel, sin says to you, you're okay, you don't need this, you give to the Red Cross, you give to the United Way, you don't kick cats, you you give sugar to your neighbor when they ask, you're okay, you don't need this. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And you know what happens? When you say no to Jesus Christ, your heart gets a little harder and a little harder each time until pretty soon you can't hear his voice anymore. You know, some of you have sat here and heard and heard and heard the gospel. And it used to speak to you. There used to be a time when you listened to the gospel and you got convicted by that and you felt the nervousness and you felt the urgency and you felt that sense of reality. But you know what? As time has gone on, you don't feel and sense that same urgency. You know what's happening? Your heart is getting hard. And the writer here says, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your heart. And then he says to these Jews who are looking back to Judaism, when you walk away, it is proof that you never had real faith. Look at verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. 
We said this last week. The evidence of genuine faith is continuance. The evidence of the reality of my faith is that I stay faithful to that. Now, there may be times when I go away, as I said last week, and Hebrews chapter 12 is going to deal with that because God disciplines His children. But there will be a continuance in the life of an individual who has genuine saving faith. You say to me, well, what about so-and-so? I don't know about so-and-so. I only know that genuine faith will remain steadfast until the end. There are a lot of professors who are not possessors. And a lot of them stay around. They rarely ever pray. They really don't know what worship is. They seldom read the Scriptures. They will not talk about the things of God. In fact, they seem foreign to them. Their walk is thoroughly worldly, and yet you ask them and they say, I'm a Christian. You see, I, along with the writer of Hebrews, am nervous about people like that. One of the most sobering verses in all of the Bible is Matthew 7, 22. And Jesus says on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, it's us. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not I knew you for a while and I lost track of you. I never knew you. If you have genuine saving faith, it will endure. And there are a lot of people today who are professors but not possessors. In fact, that verse says they're doing exciting things for God, it seems. But Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And so I have to stop and ask you this morning, have you come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you simply a professor? And then he repeats the urgency in verse 15. Quoting again from Psalm 95, While it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me. Today. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. D.L. Moody said he used to tell people to go home and think about it when he shared the gospel. He would, he would share the gospel and he'd tell people, go home and think about it and come back tomorrow. Until one night in Chicago, he spoke in front of probably the largest audience of people he had ever spoken to up until that time. And he gave the gospel and he told them, go home and think about it and come back tomorrow. That was the night of the Chicago fire in 1871 and it killed half the people in his audience. That was the last time he ever told anybody to postpone a decision about faith in Christ. See, the invitation is today. I can't promise you tomorrow. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. And then finally, we see the identification 
in verses 16 to 19. And this is real simple. It's kind of like he's doing a study guide on Psalm 95. You, you, you look at a study guide and they give you the, the, the content and then, and then at the end they have some questions. Well, here are the questions. And they're very simple. Verse 16, For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Who provoked God? All. Verse 17, And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Who, who was God angry with? Those who sinned. Verse 18, And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Who did he say, You're not going into the promised land? Those who were disobedient. Verse 19, and so, here's the conclusion, and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. There's the identification. You see, the thing that kept Israel out of the promised land was unbelief. And the thing that keeps you from God and His blessings is unbelief. The message this morning is very simple. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As I look across this congregation, I have no idea what God is doing in each one of your lives. I have no idea what God is saying to you, but I believe there's probably somebody sitting here today and your heart's beating a little faster than normal. Your palms are feeling a little sweaty because the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you and He's saying, you know what? You've heard the Gospel. You understand the Gospel. You could probably lead somebody else to Christ, but you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. If that's the case this morning, I want to tell you that every time you say no to Jesus, it gets a little easier to say no to Jesus. And so if God is speaking to you this morning, if you are hearing His voice, then that tells me that your heart is still soft. And now is the time. Today is the day. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. And we're going to close with that chorus, Lord have mercy. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but I'm calling you today to come to Jesus Christ. I'm coming alongside and encouraging you, exhorting you, begging you to commit your life to Him. If you need help with that, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, you come as we sing. I'm going to ask James, who was baptized, to come this morning. There may be others here who want to join this fellowship. As we sing together, you think about the words of this, this song and make it your prayer to the Lord. Let's stand and close together.